Well, when you came in, you should have gotten a sermon outline. You can take that out. Our middle schoolers are heading off to the bridge class now, and uh, we welcome them to an study with Pastor Martin how to listen to a sermon. And I draw your attention to Pew Bibles, page 993, or you can see it printed in your sermon outline. Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15, a most extraordinary story right on the heels of the resurrection. We read, picking up in verse 11, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests, priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So far then the reading of God's word. As I said, this passage falls on the heels of what we studied last week, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you recall what happened. A mighty angel intrudes from heaven and there is an earthquake. The ground shakes. The stone is rolled away. The tomb is empty. The angel sits on the, on the uh, seal, on the stone of the tomb and the women come to see the body. And the angel addresses them. And do you remember? He says, I know you came here to see the body of Jesus. And then he is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. And then remember what he said next. Go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. For behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So we read this. They departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. But Jesus meets them. Verse 10. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Go and tell. And what do you know? Do these ladies hold back? These magnificent women, do they say, oh, we, gotta we need a, a committee meeting <laughs> to figure this out. Who's going to believe us? Do they hold back? No, it says they ran. To do what? To tell the good news and then to show the disciples how to engage with Jesus. You know what that is? That's evangelism and that's discipleship. Evangelism, tell the good news. Help the others learn how and where to engage with Jesus. That's discipleship. They're a picture of the church. 
That's, that's you. That's me. Don't we want to be like that with those two things always pulsing in our being? Go and tell and engage others with Jesus. But now, Matthew tells us in that very first phrase, while they were going, see, I love that phrase. That's what I was just talking about. That's really uh, point one for us. They were going. Now point two, we see how people are willing to work very hard to deny the truth. And it's sort of shocking that right in this moment of exaltation and joy, you have this sinister movement to deny what should be joy to the world. What do we read, picking up in the second half of verse 11? The guards come and they report what happened. Verse 11 says, some of the guard. Some of them are brave enough or are amazed enough to come to the ruling authorities and say, let us tell you what we have just seen. And they probably didn't go to Pontius Pilate. They probably went to the chief priests uh, who actually were the ones giving them the instructions of what to do. And they tell the chief priests, this is what we saw. A powerful angel came down from heaven, whoom, rolled away the, the stone, the earth shook, the tomb was empty. We looked, it's empty. And it's almost funny in its irony. Because, as we saw a few weeks ago, when they posted these guards, they did it for a reason. Do you remember? They did it to make sure that whatever happens, we put a period on the end of this Jesus movement. Let's wrap this up, fellas. Because, you see, they remembered back in, well, we've been studying through the Gospel of Matthew now for almost two years. You remember back in Matthew chapter 12, they, these same rulers came to Jesus and demanded that He show them a sign, and Jesus says, I'll give you a sign, one sign. What was that? Anyone remember? Right, the sign of Jonah. <laughs> Whatever did He mean by that? That is, Jonah was brought back to life, so I will. And then, one, two, three, four, five times, he predicts his own uh, resurrection. And so they remembered that he said these things, and as a result, the guards are sent to the tomb. They station themselves there. They seal the stone, and by their strategy, they believe they can stop any plot that would allow Jesus to be... Uh, to say that Jesus is raised from the dead. Now, this is interesting. Ligon Duncan, in his comments on this passage, says that this means that non-disciples are going to be among the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Listen, maybe someone here is a skeptic, or maybe if you're watching online, if you're a skeptic, and 
some disciples of Jesus came and said, he's risen from the dead, what will the skeptic say immediately? The skeptic will say, oh yeah, well, sure, we'd expect that from you. You're one of his disciples. You're a part of the scheme. And so in the sovereignty of God, the scheming of the ruling council who sent the guards ahead of time are actually going to be used to verify the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. They are going to be reporting it, non-disciples first. And on top of it, nobody's going to be able to say the body's still in the tomb because these guards tell the, the ruling council, the tomb is empty. Now, how did the Sanhedrin respond? Did they say, wow, wow, this is amazing. We better repent. Did they say, we should repent of opposing Jesus? Did they say, now this is the fulfillment of the sign of Jonah. Wow, let's talk about biblical theology. This is the fulfillment of all the... Did they say that? Did they say, we murdered an innocent man, and again, we repent? They did, not, they did not want to hear it, and so they set out to suppress the truth. They do not want the people to believe what the soldiers have just reported to them, and so you know what they do? They have a very intense meeting. They gather together, and um, they say, essentially, we better get our story straight. And, and liars need to do that, don't they? We need to get our story straight. Let's make sure we all agree. And so they have collusion to do three things. First, they get a boatload of money because they know it's going to cost some money to pull this off. Then they concoct a story to uh, tell them to dissemble, to disseminate among the people who might be interested, and then they give assurance of a pardon. We'll give you immunity. We know Pontius Pilate, and we have him wrapped around our little finger. Don't worry, guys. Verse 12, and when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. Then verse 13, then they said, tell people, his disciples came at night and stole him away while we were asleep. And then if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Really now, do you think that politically connected, powerful moral uh, leaders are capable of colluding and propagating a lie? Could that ever happen in government, do you think? But it is not strange that these men who have just murdered the innocent Jesus would now want to cover it up and just put an end to this discussion. So they say literally just teach this and keep repeating it over and over and over again. 
And eventually people will believe it because if you tell a lie often enough, yeah, the sheep will believe it. And what do you know that the soldiers say in verse 15? We read, they accept, they accept the offer. They took the money, did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Even though they had seen the truth, the money was good. We'll take the money. Even though they had seen the truth, the lie was what they embraced. Oh, my friends, if you turn over your outline, no, it's, no, it's at the bottom on point three. Don't turn over yet. I'm sorry. On the front page, point number three. What about you? What do you believe? Matthew concludes this account by stating, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. And we believe the Gospel of Matthew was finally finished and edited, as it were, prepared about 30 years later in this final version of this mag magnificent uh, Gospel account. And he says, even now, that same story is being spread. And when I took the ancient church course at Westminster Seminary, I remember reading about Justin Martyr, who lived a hundred years after this, and he wrote a book called Dialogue with Trifo, where he was arguing for the Christian faith, and, and he, he, he addresses Trifo, and he says, Trifo, you're still believing that and spreading that story that the disciples came and stole the body while the guards were asleep, and he says, it's time to put an end to that nonsense. And now, the point is here, if you're in high school or you're in college, I want you to know there are all kinds of anti-Christian arguments that uh, people put forth in order to discredit Christianity, and in particular to discredit the resurrection of Christ. Um, and there will be all kinds of conjecture for you to follow. Why? Because people who want to make these arguments want to avoid the claims of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've heard of some of them. The first, of course, and most prominent, is the stolen body argument. Um, you know, that these frightened and cowardly fishermen, right? That's what they were two days ago. Frightened and cowardly fishermen from Galilee, somehow at night. Snuck in at night, rolled the stone away. Go in, get the corpse, carry out the corpse, and run away with it. Meanwhile, all the guards are asleep and don't notice a thing. How likely do you think that is? Then there's what's called the swoon theory. The swoon theory, in, in the 1900s, very popular, the swoon theory was that Jesus didn't really die. I remember reading about that. They said, you know, like Bruce Willis in Die Hard. He's beaten up, he's beaten up badly, he's lying there, and then suddenly, done. 
even though he's been nails through his hands, through his feet, spear in his side, thorns pressed on his head, beaten uh, 40 times, he crawls off the slab, pushes away the stone, crawls out and escapes to safety. How likely do you think that is? Or there's what's called the mass hallucination theory. And that, you know, in the times of Freud and other uh, psychological thinkers, there is this notion that people have hallucinations, and they do, don't they? People do have hallucinations. Even sometimes in groups, there can sort of be a mass hysteria and hallucination. But in his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, Josh McDowell reviews a number of psychological studies. And he says, when you suggest that different people at different times in different places have the same hallucination, that is highly unlikely. Are you persuaded by any of these explanations? Listen, my sermon title was this. The impulse to deny the resurrection is real. And not just in that. It is in the human flesh. In Romans chapter 1, the Bible says that it is in our sinful hearts to want to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It is at the core of our rebellion against God. It's essentially what sin is all about. To deny God and to deny His claims upon us. And so, we're, we're sometimes willing to hear alternative explanations that get us off the hook from needing to follow Jesus Christ. And Jesus told Nicodemus, He said, people love darkness rather than light. It's the nature of sin. What do you believe? The second half of my sermon title said, but the resurrection is true. And the elders of this church and the pastors of this church and the members of this congregation reaffirm that second membership vow which says, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners. And we receive and rest on Him alone for salvation as He is offered in the gospel. Why? Because we understand the cross. We know we needed someone to die, to, to live the life we should have lived, and to die the death we deserve to die. And there on the cross, Jesus, our substitute, paid for our sins. If God were going to solve the problem of our sin, this is how a holy God would do it. And then we believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead because death could not hold a sinless man, right? Think about it. The wages of sin is death, but he never sinned. And so he rises triumphant from the grave. We would expect that. We would expect, Josh McDowell says this, we would expect that if God were to come to earth, he would deal with death. Now turn over your outline. Point number four. 
Matthew is showing us by recording in his, his wonderful narrative style, he's showing us that this is an utterly ridiculous scheme, and he's reminding us of the importance of the cross and the resurrection for us. So let's, let's try and picture one of these guards on Monday morning. This happens, Christ is raised on the first day of the week, they, they run, they tell the chief priests, they have their consultation and collusion together, they pay them the money, give them the story, uh, assure them of pardon and immunity, and then send them on their way, and now it's Monday morning. And someone comes up to one of these guards and says, hey, hey, what's this I hear about the tomb being empty? Uh, and the body of Jesus is missing. And so the guard says, well, here's what happened. We fell asleep while we were guarding him, and so the disciples came that night and stole him away. Oh, says his friend, that makes sense? Okay, well, thank you. Uh, and uh, he goes on his way. He's persuaded by it, and he tells it to other people, and some of them are persuaded by that. Now another friend comes up. He says, hey, hey, and he asks him the same question. What's this I hear about the body of Jesus being missing and the tomb being empty? And he, he gives him the same answer, but this fellow is not quite so easily satisfied. Hmm. Do you mean to tell me that your whole guard, what, were there 12 of you maybe? whatever the number it was, that you all fell asleep on the job? And that you remained asleep while the stone is rolled away and they're carrying out the corpse? And none of you woke up? And everybody knows that the Roman military is the most disciplined military agency on the planet, and we all know that to fall asleep while you are on duty is punishable by death. We all know it. And you're saying you all fell asleep through that whole thing? He says, this is, this is highly unlikely. And somebody else, you know, says, yeah, you're military men. You're not, it's, you're not summer interns. You know, you are invested in the success of your assignment, and you've, you knew how important this was to the chief priests. It's not like you were on a holiday. This was intense. I'm not buying it. And then what William Hendrickson calls the real bombshell, he says it's this. He says, uh, after looking at the guard for a long time, the fellow says, you really want me to believe this story that you slept, all of you slept through it all? Then this. Well then, if you were all sleeping, how do you know what happened? <laughs> and that's the kicker, isn't it? You're just guessing. And I like to think uh, then one of them would say to the guard, let me tell you what I think happened. 
I think he really did rise from the dead. Because I was there that day when he said that he would give the sign of Jonah. And I think this is what he was talking about. And I watched him raise the daughter of Jairus from the dead. And I saw Lazarus come out of the tomb. And I heard Jesus say, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And so, my explanation, he really is risen, is far more persuasive than your concocted, colluded theories. So friends, let's stick with the story of the women. It's logical, right? If God became man, then we would expect him to exercise power over death. Whatever your college professor tells you, whatever little internet blog you read, trust these women. Trust the disciples. I love how many accounts there are in the Gospels at the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. How many accounts there are of encounters of living, breathing people with the resurrected Christ. Right? Just a few of them I listed in your program. I won't read them all, but you see them there. He meets them and they touch him. He calls them by name. He goes to one of their fellowship gatherings and he says, Hey, is, do you guys have anything to eat? Right? And there's fish frying. You know, Steve Abramans can smell it now. He's preparing those hamburgers for us now down at the church picnic. The fish was broiling. Jesus says, do you have anything to eat? That fish smells good. And then he eats it. They give it to him and he eats it. On the road to Emmaus, Cleopas and his friend meet with this stranger who they then say he was made known to us in the breaking of bread and did not our hearts burn within us as we encountered him. And when Thomas, you know Thomas, the doubting Thomas, Jesus comes. He says, here, put your hand in, my, in the holes, the nail holes of my hand, and put your hand in the spear hole in my side. Blessed are you who have seen, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Let's believe the women who were on their way to tell the story, and you it's not just that it's true. It's not just that the event was true. But Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 53, For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. It's going to happen. Last week I was quoting from Howard Donahue's sermon and I said, he, I quoted that he wants to tattoo on his chest DNR. And I confused some people because especially a number of the younger people didn't know what DNR stands for. Anybody know what it stands for? Do not resuscitate. And that is to say, 
When it is obvious that this is it, it's time for you to die, he says, I do not want some doctor impeding my movement from this life into the glorious next one, because that moment will be the greatest moment I will have experienced to date when I see my Savior on the other side. I don't know if you want that tattoo, but, but, but that makes sense to me. Winston Churchill, some of our young people play the trumpet. Winston Churchill gave instruction that at his funeral, at the end of his funeral service, the military band was not to play taps. Anybody know taps? Dun-da-da, da da The day is done. It's over. Winston Churchill said, don't play that. He said, at the end of my funeral, I want the military band to play Reveille. It's time to get up. It's time to go. The day has just begun. Let the world know that my life has just begun. Preach the gospel to yourself. You're already alive, a new person in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Paul says, you have been raised with Christ. You already, it has begun. That life is in you. So preach to yourself, he is alive, so I am alive. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do celebrate this amazing victory of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And our Father, we all have questions, especially young people have questions. We pray that this church will be a safe place for people to ask their questions. But we also pray that your Word, in its power and beauty, in its veracity, in its truthfulness, that your word will instruct us, that we will have humble hearts even as we inquire. Help us not to be surprised when we or people we meet are reluctant. Help us not to be surprised when people are reluctant to accept the claims of Jesus Christ. Help us to love them and love each other well. And then enable us to give the reason for the hope that is within us. Show us how to speak the truth in love to any who doubt. Reassure my friends here, Lord, reassure us all that we who have been united to you in your death and resurrection are already alive spiritually and we shall rise one day when he comes again. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.